Let's go ahead and get started in Leviticus chapter 1. Before I do, though, why don't I say a word of prayer? Blessed Lord, you have given to us all scriptures for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Amen. All right, so we are in the book of Leviticus, chapter 1, and we'll kind of see. I haven't decided yet the pace that we're going to go at. What I will say is we're not going to be at like the way sometimes we go through Romans, for instance, where it's like a verse or a couple of verses in a week. Like we did that with Leviticus. We'd be here for a long, long time. Um, we'll probably be at a chapter or sometimes a couple of chapters a week, just depending on the, the section. But like this week, we're going to try to take one uh, chapter here of, of chapter one, which in many ways kind of sets the table for the rest of the book. But uh, before digging into this chapter, are there any lingering questions or thoughts, reflections from our study last week? You're just excited about it. I, that, that was good. I, I listened online. Yeah. I miss the donut part. Does the which part? The donut part. Oh, the donut. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, if you if you don't uh, if you don't get here in person, you can get the audio, but you can't get the donut. Uh, maybe we can mail you one afterwards. It's not as delicious though. I came across this uh, quote this week from a guy named Chad Bird, who has a really nice podcast called 40 Minutes in the Old Testament." where he's just going through um, books of the Bible. And he did it through the uh, book of Leviticus, and it's one of the resources that I'm drawing on for these studies. But he, he states this, the whole book of Leviticus, all these sacrifices, are really nothing but the ritual enactment of God's grace. I really like that statement, the ritual enactment of God's grace. Because it's so easy to read Leviticus and to see all these sacrifices and wonder, well, what does this have to do with, with us? We who are not offering sacrifices don't have a temple at which to do so. And if you brought your dead bull to church, we'd all probably freak out, right? Um, but I, I like how he's put it there where it's the ritual enactment of God's grace throughout the book of Leviticus and the sacrifices that are instituted. This is not... Um, while there's a law aspect to it, we ought to see that deeper than that law to it is grace and gospel. It's the ritual enactment of God's grace, a way that he has created and fostered and forged for his people to live in right relationship with him. It's a beautiful thing. So let's get into chapter one, which is the section on the burnt offering or the olah, the whole burnt offering. And uh, let me start, I'm just gonna read the first paragraph here and then because it kind of is the lead into the rest of it the lord called moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting saying speak to the people of israel and say to them when any one of you brings an offering to the lord you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock now i find interesting right off the bat here is it just launches into it with no explanation, no preamble about why sacrifices are necessary. What's the point of sacrifices? Because sacrifice is essential to humanity. It is assumed that sacrifice is going to be there. And you can demonstrate this just um, anthropologically, sociologically, how through the ages, there have been sacrifices across the board, right? From uh, whether you're talking about the, the Incas and the Mayas and the um, ancient religions of Central America or in Africa, Australia. Um, this is not just a Jewish or a Christian idea or concept. 
But sacrifice seems to be, in, in many ways, just right there instilled in human DNA. And why do you think that is? Why is it that sacrifice is common across cultures and times and religions? What is it about sacrifice that makes it so essential and assumed in the human experience, do you think? Well, if we all came from Adam and Eve, yeah. Cain and Abel, straight away, right. were to sacrifice or offer their first fruits. Sure. And if everybody basically descended from that same family, right. it seems like there'd be roots of that. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, right, culturally even. Um, so uh, Becky's pointing out how all the way back, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, sacrifice is right there already at the, at the beginning of the Bible. Cain and Abel, remember, bringing their sacrifice um, to, to the Lord, whether it was a sacrifice of an animal. Or, I mean, Cain and Abel, you remember that story? Cain kills Abel because he doesn't like the sacrifice, but, um, or he's, he's jealous of his brother. Um, but uh, for that to, uh, already to be there in humanity continues to percolate through the ages, if you will. Other thoughts? Why sacrifice? Yeah. Um, when you think about what happened to Adam and Eve after they sinned, yeah. they knew that, you know, they, they experienced shame. They right. knew there was something wrong. Yes. You know, and so I think that's innate in all human beings. Yeah. That they somehow have to make up for. Yes. That's uh, very well put. Appease a God sure. that's in control of the weather, you know, right. the crops or whatever. Right. So Esther's saying, going back to Adam and Eve, um, that there is this deep-seated sense of that rift, that things are are broken, and that uh, the Creator needs to be appeased because we have um, alienated ourselves from Him. Um, and that reminds me. I mean, think about what was the first sacrifice in the Bible. Where do we see it? And think about the story of Adam and Eve. Remember, Adam and Eve, they, they take the fruit and then they realize, oh, I'm naked. I'm in my birthday suit, right? <laughs> and then God made clothes for them from animal skin, right? Um, it doesn't belabor the point there, but an animal has already had to die. There's been a sacrifice for the sake of those first humans already. Yeah. You don't have something to do with it. Guilt absolutely has something to do with it. Yeah. Um, we have that, that innate sense that things are not as they are supposed to be. And while in the 21st century world, um, there aren't nearly as many animal sacrifices that are, are being done, how do, you, how do people continue to offer sacrifices? How, does this, um, how is this still a, a relevant reality? Where do you see, how do you see people sacrificing in just kind of that broader sense? Yeah, Bill. They give up of themselves in many ways. Sure. I mean, uh, through their checkbook or through their time. Yeah. Or, uh, mm -hmm. Something like that, which goes back to your first question. I wonder if part of the sacrifice is to take the focus off of oneself. Sure. And, and put the focus on something greater than oneself. Yeah, sure. And it's a, a continual uh, ritualized uh, reminding one mm -hmm. that there is something greater than themselves. Yeah. I, I would think if we all just covet and hold on to what we have, right. we begin to be very self-centered. Right. So sacrifice is a way that it draws us out of ourselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you see this, for instance, with people with their checkbook, with their time. These are sacrifices that, that people yeah. make. Yeah. Sandy, did you have your hand? Uh, 
other ways that you see people making sacrifices in our world today? In the military. Sure, in the military, yeah. Willing to give of themselves, again, for a greater good, right? Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many different ways. Sacrifice is um, the kind of um, principle that when you start to look for it, you see it's, it's one of the central operating principles of society. We're all sacrificing for things that we think are worthwhile and that matter. Is it always because in the moment you're like, I'm doing this in order to appease God or the gods? Typically not, right? But I would say that underneath of that, we do have that that. Uh, profound sense, uh, as it says in Romans chapter 2, written on the heart, God's law written on our heart, that things are not as they're supposed to be. And so that perhaps by some sacrifice, we can make it right. But the grace already here in Leviticus is that God doesn't leave his people open to just try and guess. Like, you know, he's up in the heavens, like, okay, let's see if you guys can figure out what it takes to propitiate yourselves to me. Instead, God says, no, I'm going to show you what you need to do. Yeah, Hans. There's a correlation between responsibility and the sacrifices, too. Okay, say more about that. Um, like, I'm responsible for my children, so uh-huh. I sacrifice time to spend with them. Sure. Um, I, I became their, a uh, confirmation teacher for mm. years because my kids needed to be there, so I'm going to be there, too, sure. so that I can work with them. Right. But it's just, you know... As those different responsible, you get uh, responsible to the church, to your job, yep. to your family, and all these. You make sacrifices where those things are. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The things that you're responsible for, the thing, which in many cases are the things that you care the most about, right? That you are devoted to. Absolutely. Um, and this ultimately, as we know, finds its culmination in our Lord Jesus. And uh, we'll come back to this again and again, but let me just put one passage out there. Um, as we start to, to ponder this, Hebrews chapter 10. And Hebrews um, is, in many ways, the New Testament parallel to Leviticus. Um, it mirrors a lot of the teachings of Leviticus, but puts it in that gospel New Testament key, if you will. So this is, this is an interesting um, way in which we'll see here in, in uh, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews evokes the Old Testament now to apply it to Jesus. And this is cited from, uh, from the Psalms. It says, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. The big teaching of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, right? He is the one in whom all of the burnt offerings and the sin offerings now have all culminated and been consummated in Christ Jesus. That he, in his body, is the final burnt offering for atonement and for our reconciliation with God. We'll see this over and over and over again in Leviticus. All right, let's go back to Leviticus chapter 1 and get into the the heart of this chapter because there is a lot of good stuff here. Back, I should have a bookmark there. There we go. All right, I'm just going to read through the whole of the the rest of the chapter, and then we'll circle back and, and kind of take it step by step. 
Okay, you bring the burnt offerings. If his offering, verse 3, is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. And he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar. But the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons. And the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Okay, initial observations or questions, just as you hear it. Yeah, man. Who is he? Yeah, this is, a, this is an important question. Who is the one, you mean, who's the one who's arranging the offering? Or Well, I mean, which, there's, I think the priests play a role, but it seems like the he yes. would be the one presenting the yeah. offering. Yes, that's exactly right. And this was uh, something that I had not remembered before getting back into it, is that we think of the priests as being the ones who are doing all the stuff there at, at the temple, and they're doing a lot of it, but much of the sacrifice is being done by the one who brings the sacrifice, whether it be an individual or the head of the household. He's the one who is bringing, who's actually butchering the animal. The job of the priest is to pour the blood out. But, I mean, that's hardcore, right? It's involving them. I'll have more, more to say about this later, but yeah, good catch. Other initial observations or questions? Yeah. I'm always fond of curious, and I don't understand it about Pleasing aroma. Good. Okay, pleasing aroma. We'll come back to that as well. That's a very um, important, um, it'll come up a lot in Leviticus. Yeah, Hans, do you have a question? Yeah, or a thought well, too? well, same one, but yeah. another, another one as well. Um, uh, why wash the entrails? Why wash the entrails? Yeah. I can think of a couple of reasons off well, my hand. Yeah. I think it's mainly the reasons that you would think. I don't, I don't have a, a deeper answer than that, but yeah. Yeah, it, it, I mean, this, there's no, no doubt about it. Like, you could not come to um, an offering, a burnt offering, something like this, and come away and thinking that your faith was just some kind of bloodless, let's be nice to each other sort of reality. Like, you, you can't miss the fact that, as the movie title said, there will be blood, right? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I was just wondering, what is the frequency at which such offerings would be done? We're talking once right. a month, once a quarter? Yeah. What, 
Right, exactly. Well, so this, the Ola, as it was called, is daily. So this is a, this is a daily offering. This doesn't mean that every single person is offering this daily. But the offering itself is, is given daily. So um, how often, I've, I've wondered about this myself, and it's not exactly clear how often it's happening. Um, it's not indicated necessarily when somebody is doing it, whether it's um, at significant times. For instance, you know, if you get a son who's just engaged and you want to offer thanks, maybe you come, you know, you bring your pig to, no, not the pig. Uh, bring one from, from the herd. Um, but uh, yeah, the offering itself though, is a daily offering. This is something that's happening every single day at the temple. And this to me is suggestive of how the, the scriptures Jesus will talk about in, in Luke chapter 9 and elsewhere. He'll say, um, take up your cross, how often? Daily. Daily. Daily and follow me. And when we, like last week we quoted from Romans 12, and I might have it in here later too, um, of living sacrifices, that living sacrifice that we offer is a daily sacrifice that is given, right? Every day we're putting ourselves on the altar, so to speak. And I think that there's something really significant about the fact that this was something that it wasn't, there are different sacrifices that are given at different um, periods during the sacred year, but that the Ola was like the staple sacrifice, the burnt offering is just happening, boom, 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 throughout the year. And to me, it's a pointer to our daily sacrifice. And you get this um, throughout the Psalms um, of, you know, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. It's evoking uh, the sense that as part of my daily sacrifice, prayer also is going to be um, part of that as well. So for us as believers today, how do we practice the daily sacrifice? I mean, so prayers is one of them. What are some other daily sacrifices that we undertake in following the Lord, taking up our cross and, and following him? Loving our neighbor. Loving our neighbor, yeah. Sometimes that means putting up with our neighbor, right? <laughs> but that's a daily sacrifice, sure. Yeah. Sure, daily devotion, re reading the scripture and spending that time in, in God's word, that daily sacrifice, again, of, of time in many ways. Yeah. Repentance. Repentance, absolutely. Repentance, that daily sacrifice, the dying to ourselves and confessing our sins. Other thoughts? Yeah. Sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice of praise, yeah. And uh, I mean, the New Testament will talk this way this, the fruit of lips, which is the, the sacrifice of our praise. But uh, I, I just think it's so significant that it's a daily thing. It's a daily reality of getting into that rhythm of day by day coming before the Lord and laying ourselves on the altar there. Okay, but verses 3 and 4 are really pivotal for understanding the rest of, not only this chapter, but the rest of the sacrifices in Leviticus. Because it says, um, he shall offer, if it's from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish, without blemish. The Hebrew there is tamim, which doesn't necessarily mean perfect. You weren't going to have any perfect critters, but the idea is that it's one without any like obvious blemish, right? You don't offer tripod, your three-legged cow, as one of the uh, burnt offerings, right? You want the ones that are looking good and it doesn't have any tumors or obvious wounds or that sort of thing. You're offering one that is pretty good, right? Um, tamim. 
and bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it should be accepted for him to make atonement for him. All right, and again, as Matt pointed out, this is the person who's bringing the offering lays his hand on it. What do you suppose is the significance of the laying the hand on it? There, there, you know, it's going to be okay, little one. Transference Yeah, it's this transference. And this is going to be especially brought out later with the, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur in Leviticus 16. But already we're seeing here, it's that sense of this animal is about to die for moi and for my sins. So putting your head, a hand on the head, it's right there. And why? It should be accepted for him to make atonement for him. I mean, this just can't be emphasized enough that the purpose of these sacrifices are grace and gospel, the forgiveness of sins, reconciliation, that God's desire is to be united with his people. So this is, this is what he is instituting in order to be reconciled to them. There must be this blood shed. This is why I'm giving you guys uh, this. And in um, kind of theological terminology, we talk about the means of grace, the means of grace. When we use that term, generally we're talking about baptism, the Lord's Supper, um, God's word, and the proclamation of his word, confession and absolution. Uh, Essentially, what we're seeing here in Leviticus are means of grace with the sacrifices. Um, they have a kind of sacramental aspect to it. These are uh, a promise of God is attached to the sacrifice so that the, the sacrificer can be confident that his sins are forgiven. Yeah? It, it strikes me when you, in the description of this, it, there's a, 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 a cyclical nature to this. In other words, uh, if I accept that my goodwill is in large measure by God's grace, sure. then all I'm doing is returning a part of my goodwill yeah. back to God. Yes. Uh, and so therefore, this, this person in Leviticus who, who is performing the sacrifice, yeah is taken from his herd. Now, he didn't go out and get a wild animal. No, right. He didn't go out and find somebody else. I mean, he, it was from his herd yeah. that he had worked hard to develop. Yeah. He brought it in, put his hand on it, and he gave it back. Yes. And it's a daily, not he, he doesn't do it daily, but the community sees this on a daily basis. Right. People giving back to God what God gave to them. Exactly. That's, uh, it's, um, woven into their daily lives is this, re this reminder, as we sing in the hymn, we give thee but thine own, right? Mm -hmm. Everything comes from God. And does he need these cows? You know, Psalm 50 says, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine, right? Um, God doesn't need it. We need to give it to him in gratitude and for the purpose of, of atonement and reconciliation. Yeah, go ahead, Becky. I feel like you might have bumped into this in a sermon a few months ago that seemed interesting for this pandemic time because hmm. it was Jesus clearing the temple of the robbers and turning the tables over and like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Yeah. And it seemed like you said something in there about part of it was, you're not supposed to just pick up your offering at Right, exactly. Phone it in. Yes. These people aren't supposed to be, this was supposed to be more personal. Yes, you're that's not right. You're supposed to just go purchase. It's, I, it seems to be right what we're talking about here and what Bill said. Yep. It's just our own 
Be involved, people. You be involved, that's right. Yeah, um, I, I remember that sermon. We talked about that uh, kind of convenience culture that we have where we're like, man, um, you know, I, I want to worship God, but can I just kind of do it on the side? You know, is it something that I've, I'm a busy person? You know, how can I work it into my already busy life? Um, but God says, I want you to be personally involved and for it to be a genuine sacrifice. It's a, a giving of yourself. Now, that can take different forms. Did you guys pick up on this? That there's actually three different um, possibilities here. So choose your own adventure, right? Multiple choice. So what are the three that possibilities? Verse three, you've got from the herd. Okay. Then verse 10, it's from the flock. And the sheep or the goats. Sheep or the goats. Isn't that interesting? And then verse 14, if your burnt offering is of birds. Now, why, why do you think God's giving this multiple choice here? Not everybody has cows. Economics. Not everybody's got cows. And it's suggestive of how um, this faith is not meant to be a, a class or a caste system. It's not just for a certain group of people to be able to participate, uh, nor is it the case that only certain folks can be forgiven, right? Of course not. Uh, as said in the sermon today, which, who's sick and needs the, the, the healing medicine of the, the gospel? Everybody. And so whether you're more well-to-do, you've got the herd, or whether, and who are the famous ones who only had the turtle doves? That, oh, Mary, and Mary and Joseph, right? There's still the sacrifice that you're able to give. God makes provision for, for all of those to be uh, uh, involved. Yeah, Carla and then Hunt. So when you're talking about the, <coughs> the sacrifice being <coughs> excuse me, meaningful and uh, something that you do out of your heart, what does that do to online giving? Oh. Um, you know, that it's, it yeah. comes out of my pocket. Sure. I don't pay any attention to it. It just goes. Yeah. Stay home in your pajamas. That's a great question. Well, I, I do think the pandemic has complicated this, right? Because Carla mentions the online giving. And, you know, you, you just put it once and it's a, a recurring gift. Um, and you don't even have to think about it. Or, and, you know, Becky Race is now in an age of, of virtual worship. You know, I can virtually worship. <laughs> Is that an interesting? Uh, but you can't you can't commune that way. And um, look, are there situations where I think it's a blessing to our homebound folks, for instance, that they're able, for them it is a sacrifice, perhaps, especially some of the folks I know, to get online, right, and figure out how this thing works. Um, but I do wonder if there isn't something to the fact that the bar keeps getting lowered and lowered. Right? I don't want to have to do anything uh, uh, to really involve myself. And uh, I don't know, 1 Corinthians says that all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And is, is that kind of thing permissible? Well, sure. But is it ultimately beneficial in the way that God fully intends? I would say probably not. Not to the, the fullness of the extent that God desires for us to be engaged with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did I see another hand? Yeah, Ann. That's right. Killing an animal is really inconvenient. As somebody who has once killed a chicken, <laughs> I can testify. Uh, yeah, it's going to take you time. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be costly. Again, you're taking the best. You're not taking your, your worst, the, the ones that you can just kind of um, pitch otherwise. You're taking the best. Yeah, Hans. Um, as much as they're supposed to be without blemish. Right. Who determined that? Because I know later, yeah. the priest would be 
in the temple would say, oh, this, this animal right. is not good enough. Yeah. We have other animals that we can sell you. Yeah, right, you right. Swap out. But originally, that wasn't the case. Right. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, my assumption would be the priests would kind of adjudicate if, if this, thing's, this sacrifice passes muster. But it does seem to uh, put the onus and the responsibility, again, on the one bringing the sacrifice. And uh, there's a sense in which, you know, God's trusting the judgment. He knows the heart, right? Saying, okay, you're, you're bringing one that's tamim, that's without blemish, um, that God's going to leave it to the worshiper. I can't say that, though, with uh, 100% confidence. It's a good question. So um, in, in many ways, again, that uh, same guy I mentioned before, Chad Bird, says that everything else after verses 3 and 4 is kind of a commentary. Like all that follows on the sacrifices is really just a commentary on these first couple of verses of, all right, you're bringing the animal, hand on the head. This is for atonement. It's like everything else that's going to be said is just unpacking the significance of that. That's overstating the case, of course. But this is so pivotal and so key to recognize that atonement is behind all of it. All right, let's, let's circle back to this point, which we've, we've been coming to a couple of times and um, that Matt brought out for us, that sacrifice requires participation. And I just want to, to lay out for you, there's no less than six um, distinct uh, um, tasks that the worshiper has in this. So first of all, you're going to present the offering at the tabernacle. Secondly, you're going to lay your hands on the head of the sacrifice. You are going to slaughter it. You're going to skin it. You're going to cut it into pieces, and you're going to wash the inner parts and the legs. So, yet, there is nothing um, convenient or simple about this, right? This is a big deal. Uh, but it's demonstrating to us that we are, are personally engaged and involved in the whole act of worship. And this is one thing that I do appreciate about our liturgical form of worship, right? Because... Uh, it might be easier for you just to show up on Sunday and sit back and let the, uh, the sage on the stage, you know, just dazzle you with some wise teachings. And maybe we're going to have a band that's going to play some really good music and we don't have to hear your awful voice singing. But instead, we, what do we have is we say, no, it's going to be a back and forth, a call and response all throughout. I'm, you're going to stand up. You're going to sit down. It's going to be a pain, Right. Uh, sometimes it's, it's going to be awkward. And when you're singing, it doesn't matter if you're not a great singer. We want that sacrifice of praise. Um, that's one way that we see within the, in the, the liturgy, it involves us. It's involving of the worshiper. It doesn't allow us just to sit back and relax. But, I don't know, other, other thoughts on this idea and the notion of the particip participatoriness of, of the worship that we see here? that we're continually called to. So I, I would encourage you in that spirit, when, when you come to worship, um, even when you're not feeling it, maybe especially when you're not, still to say the words, right? Still to stand up, still to sing along. Because in that action, in the doing, we're able to bring our hearts along. Um, my, the psalmanac for this, this coming week is on Psalm 134 which says, um, lift up your hands and bless the Lord, okay? Uh, and I love just how straightforward that is. Do it. Mm -hmm. lift, up, lift up your hands and bless the Lord. Doesn't matter if your heart's not in it. 
Your hands can lead your heart, right? God recognizes that we are psychosomatic creatures. That's your $5 word for today, right? <laughs> that our body, has an, how we comport, how we carry our body, what we do with our bodies, has an impact on our mind and our soul, right? You know this to be the case. Put yourself in a posture of prayer. This is why it's so good to teach the kids. Fold your hands, close your eyes. You know, I love it around our table. We'll hear one of the kids saying, uh, Ellie doesn't have her eyes closed. <laughs> How do you know? <laughs> so why, yes. don't, why don't they lift up their hands? When they're offering the sacrifice? or No, 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 the children when you're saying grace. Oh, why don't they, yeah. they uh, lift why, up their hands? Why do they do this and not this? Uh, well, I would say that that's all, it's equally uh, uh, applicable or admissible if one of the kids... Uh, ask me about that, I'd say, yes, you may, you may do that, pious child. Okay. Um, yeah, Matt. Uh, I was just going to look this up online, but maybe somebody here knows the answer. So I noticed that if it's a bull, it's to be a male. If it's from the flock, it's to be a male. But then when you get to turtle doves and pigeons, would those birds be... Is there anything unique about those birds, why those were picked? Like, are they mating pairs? Are they easily hmm. gender identified? Some birds are not. I didn't know if anybody else knows. Any That's a great question. Else. No, I, I mean, the main thing I think is just the um, uh, the abundance of them, right? That's a, this That's is price. what's that? The cost. The cost. Yeah. That the. the um, but as far as no the. But the gender in the first two seem yes specific. significant. Right. Exactly. Right. So hmm. how do you? Yeah, right. That's a good question. What do Jewish people now, semi-Orthodox, right. do they still have sacrifices? No. So uh, George's question is, do Jewish people today still have sacrifices? Is there an underground sacrifice trade that's happening that we don't, that we don't know about? No. I mean, this is why the fact that uh, the temple was destroyed never to be rebuilt, not for lack of interest, desire, or intention, but it has still not been rebuilt and the sacrificial system has not continued is one of the most compelling um, uh, proofs and evidences for the uh, truthfulness of the, the scripture and Jesus's victory over death. Because, I mean, this, this, he is the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, which is what he said. He predicted that the, the temple would be destroyed. Um, there were even Julian the Apostate was, and you can tell by his name, he was not the most faithful guy. Um, in the third or the fourth century, he apostatized from Christianity and he made it his life's goal to rebuild the temple. That was what he wanted to do, to rebuild the temple and to offer sacrifices again, not because he was an especially pious Jew or something, but because he wanted to re rebuff the whole idea that Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And guess what happened? Julian the apostate died. <laughs> God killed that man. Um, he was not able to carry out his, his plans. And so, um, in a sense, it's almost like, and I don't know if uh, a Jewish person would put it exactly this way, but as I look at it, it's sort of like the interest is running on all of their sins for 2,000 years, where it just keeps adding up because there has not been the sacrifices. Now, they still have the synagogue worship, but it's essentially, it would be like if we had 2,000 years of only having matins and never having communion. Um, I mean, that's an imperfect analogy, but it's like, 
It's just a word service. It's not a sacrament service. Put it that way, or sacrifice service. So, yeah, it's an important question. Would these sacrifices be done with a bunch of people around? Well, I, presumably, yeah. Would the sacrifices be done with a bunch of people around? Yeah, I, I mean, I think they're coming together, not just people, but critters, yeah. I mean, probably all of us are thinking that altar must have been pretty gross. Yes, the altar, I mean... You know, the Altar Guild uh, has a tough job today, but I can't imagine, Carla, 2000. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I always am thinking, and I feel like George's question brought this up, like, are, or is it just uh, like a daily pro progression to the altar, like a line every day? How, how busy do you think the Levites and the priests were? Uh, yeah, I, I think that this is their daily labor. Like in the, the job description for the priest, All first day, thing. Every day. People are lining up to, to do this. Right. If I am understanding correctly, too, like this would have been sustenance for the priests. Yes, too, that's right. right. Like they don't have their own land. Right. Like the other parts of the, the 12 tribes. Right? Yep. So they get what is brought. That's right. The, Le the Levites are being fed from the sacrifices of the people. You, know, you can just imagine the fights over that. Can I get the cow today? I've had enough turtle dove. Um, but yeah, this was the, the Levite's portion was the Lord. And so this is how they are, how they're nurse, nourished and nurtured. Yeah. Levites had land, but it wasn't divided like here's your territory. Right. They had land around the cities, the close, close pastures or whatever. Yeah. That they could have. The green belt, as it were. Yeah, whatever. No man's land, in a way. Yeah. Good. All right, I want to talk about the aroma because it's really significant. It comes up several times, you know, uh, verse 9, the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Why does this matter and why is it brought up over and over again? Well, first of all, there's a callback here to Genesis chapter 8. So go ahead and turn there. Okay, so Genesis chapter 8, this is on the heels of the flood and Noah and the ark, and this is after the flood has subsided, they're back onto dry land. And then in verse 20 of Genesis 8, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. How does he, how does he know this already? He hasn't read Leviticus, but presumably God has given him the instructions that he needs. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So that pleasing aroma... On the one hand, it's a, a callback to this first sacrifice that Noah offered and that covenant that God made, that now the people will be acceptable to him. He is never again going to curse the earth as he did with the flood. But it goes even further than that because it's a way, it's a, uh, a tactile way in which the sacrificer is able to be certain that his, his sacrifice is acceptable to the Lord. Remember, who's speaking 
in Leviticus chapter 1. Who's the one who is saying all this stuff? God himself is saying it. And so they can be confident that when he says it's a pleasing aroma to the Lord, the Lord speaking in the third person here, says this is a a pleasing aroma to me. It's a way in which it validates the sacrifice so you can be certain that you are acceptable. Because you can only imagine in the um, absence of any kind of, of, of sense of, okay, did that work? You know, is there a green check mark that suddenly comes from the heavens? Well, this is what you, you get. That pleasing aroma gives you that personal confidence. My sacrifice has been acceptable to the Lord. My sins are atoned for. I am forgiven. See? And you're furrowing your brow at me. Does that make, does that make sense? Oh, okay. And one, would we find it pleasing also? We do cookouts, yeah. I mean, the, that smoked chicken uh, draw. I, I mean, I would think so. Yeah, I would think so. Um, that's a pleasing aroma to the Lord, uh, presumably also a pleasing aroma to people. But yeah. Not the entrails. But not the entrails. Maybe that's part of why we need to yeah. Maybe it's not a pleasing smell, but he smells it and he knows what we have done and why we did it. And that is what pleases him, not For the sure. smell itself. Yeah, not the, not the smell itself, but what is behind the smell, the act. That's right. Yeah, that's right. This also makes a connection of we're made in God's image. Yeah. So God must have the senses we do. Like oh, I understand God. what you're saying. We are, we are created in God's image, and so um, in, a, in a sense we share his sense of, of smell and what is a, a pleasing aroma. Ah, that's an interesting point. Um, and it's neat how within, these are these kind of lines in the New Testament that without a kind of background in the Old Testament, specifically Leviticus, you could just walk right past and not pay attention to. But notice like Ephesians 5. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is not just some you know, hallmark, nice, uh, you know, sentiments that Paul is giving there in Ephesians. He's, he's connecting the sacrifice of Christ to the sacrifices that we offer as we live in love and recognizing that Jesus is that fragrant offering. That ultimately, because he has been sacrificed, there is that eternal, pleasing aroma before the Lord. And then we can go one step further it's not just that Jesus smells good, but y'all all smell good, too. Second Corinthians 2 says, We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are the aroma, which suggests something about us and our lives as well. They are a what? A sacrifice. Yeah. And in our daily lives of, of be, living as those living sacrifices... It brings up that pleasing aroma. But, I mean, this kind of raises the point. Like, does it smell different to different people? Mm -hmm. The aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing, we stink, right? Mm -hmm. And I do think that this is significant for understanding how, in our world today, it seems as though sometimes people will just have this kind of visceral reaction to Christians and to the gospel well beyond anything that you would expect, right? Though the, just the kind of negativity and hostility that sometimes folks will have toward the church and toward believers. And I mean, it's not to say that sometimes we don't earn it, okay? <laughs> like we are still sinful people. But in many cases, I think that it's 
because we, we have that aroma of Christ, and insofar as the world is opposed to Christ, they're not going to be able to smell that aroma and appreciate it and receive it as a pleasing aroma. Yes, Cindy? So is that kind of a symbol of the spiritual warfare that's going on? Yeah. The aroma is actually describing a, a spiritual reality. Yes. So Cindy asked, is the, that aroma describing a, a spiritual reality? And does that go along with the, the spiritual warfare aspect of it? I think for sure, yeah. Um, for those who, like it says elsewhere, have their eyes blinded by the evil one, uh, perhaps also their nose has have been blinded. What's the word for nose that corresponds? Your eyes are blinded, your nose is plugged. Plugged, okay. That's right. Satan has plugged the noses of unbelievers so that they are not able to um, smell the pleasing aroma of Christ. Yeah, that's right. There's so much about the... Uh senses in the yeah. in the scripture i mean taste and yes. see and taste and see god has created smell, us with yeah. all these senses and he incorporates them all so that's participation. yeah that's true well going along with that you know we were we're the light yes yeah you know and, and light when it comes into the darkness yeah. the darkness runs exactly yeah like the the painting that we saw today from caravaggio mm -hmm. right the light's mm -hmm. shining in and you know, like the beetles, they all got to scamper away. Yeah, the light can be curative, but it can also, it exposes the darkness. Mm -hmm. That's right. All right, one, one last point, and we're going to uh, conclude here. It, it's important to underscore once again that the sacrifice is entire. It is a whole burnt offering. It's, you're burning the, the whole thing. It's all of this. And I think even going back for the Old Testament folks and for those who are offering the sacrifice, they would be able to see that this is suggestive of the fact that I am giving of my whole self. Again, that participation piece. This isn't just, I'm going to you know, sacrifice the leg of my cow or the wings of my bird, but the whole sacrifice is being offered up. Yeah, Saint, uh, Matt. I'm just wondering too, at the end of all this, if they really did burn this blazing hot fire, right. what you're left with is ash. Yeah, that's exactly right. You're left with ash, which is another neat connection with Ash Wednesday. You think about um, those ashes are indicative of the, the living sacrifice that now we're coming forward and offering to the Lord. Yeah. Go ahead, Hunter. I was just, that kind of just triggered something. Yeah, Ananias and Spira. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, when they... Brought their sacrifices. Yeah. And they took the, They're yeah. holding back. Yeah. That's a great point. They try. They tried to bring a sacrifice that you know, they, like we were saying before about who knows or who decides whether or not it's it's a, a clean or without blemish. Well, God can tell, right? <laughs> um, and actually, we get uh, later in Leviticus to I think it's chapter ten. We'll hear the sad story of Nadab and Abihu, um, who also had a bad sacrifice and it didn't turn out well for them. So, yeah, God knows our hearts, and uh, he, he knows our checkbooks. <laughs> and you can't kind of sneak around uh, what we're offering back to him. Um, it makes me think of uh, another hymn, uh, Take My Life and Let It Be, Consecrated Lord to Thee. Um, take my moments and my days. Yeah, and it goes on, take, take my hands, take my heart, take all of me, Lord. All of it is offered up to the Lord as my body. So 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And the temple is the place of 
sacrifice. sacrifice whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, with your whole self offered up to him. All right, that's Leviticus chapter 1. Uh, there's, uh, did not answer every question, perhaps. There's still a lot more to learn. But next week, we'll get into chapter 2 and the laws for the grain offerings. We continue to learn about how God gives this gift of forgiveness and atonement. So thank you for joining us. See you next week.